Hi guys, welcome to the first episode of the annual Smurfit Speaker Series. This week, I had the pleasure of sitting down with serial entrepreneur Garrett Flower. Garrett has started and scaled three successful businesses in the form of Crust Bakery, Park BMP, and most recently Park Office. He shares lots of the stories and challenges from his journey so far, and there are plenty of key takeaways. So, without further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Garrett Flower. Oh, so Garrett, if you wouldn't mind um, kind of maybe putting yourself back in our shoes, you're predominantly speaking to uh, college students here tonight. So if you, you take us back to your college days and kind of uh, maybe give us an insight as to what you were doing or did you have anything going on the side or, or kind of what were you at? Sure, yeah. Well, first off, thanks, Simon, for, for having me on. Um, it's, uh, it's great to have these sort of things, you know, back when, when I was starting out, which isn't that long ago, you know, I'm not that old. Um, but about 10 years ago when I was starting out um, just after college, it was essentially, there, was, there wasn't much of these resources available. So, so I'd love to do these things. Um, back in college, I suppose, like many people, um, you know, I, I was more interested in a social life than, than business initially. Um, and after moving up to Dublin from, from Longford, where I'm from, um, money was never something I had a lot of. And I suppose being resourceful, I was always trying to think of ways to make more money. And uh, essentially, you know, in college, I quickly found out that a lot of people were staying over at our flat in this in the city centre. So I was living in Temple Bar and a lot of people used to come over and, and pre-drink. So myself and uh, a few friends and and eventually Devin Hughes actually a friend of mine who's, who's scaling another business called Buy Me got together and we started um charging people entry so started doing like a pre-drinks 10 euros in um for free free drinks and free food um in our apartment E7 and we do it E7 to 11 and, and then bring um all the the attendees down to the nightclub down the road and get free in there as well so for 10 euros you got free food free drink and then free into the club and eventually we got free shots for everyone and and a free bottle uh, service then after that so it's as it grew um so that was my first taste of of uh of a cash cash business um, and how, how long did that one last did you get shut down at all or was it uh did it, did it, it go on? Lasted, for a while? It lasted a lot longer than, than we thought. It lasted uh, over a year and a half. Um, essentially, it was a bit of a racket. You know, we were we had three nights a week and uh, forty people on average in the apartment overlooking Temple Bar, and um, you know we were we were given a hundred quid every second night to the neighbours. <laughs> And uh, and we had cleaners coming in in the morning to clean up, and uh, all the stock was was used up each you know each time. It was it was it was a good business, and um, but it went on for just over a year. I stopped just to finish to do our finals, and um, that's why we stopped. And uh, I suppose you can't really bring that type of business uh, true to the real world <laughs> post college. 
No, it sounds pretty tidy, a tidy number uh, in college anyway. And, and leading on from that then, um, I suppose Crust was next on the list. And how, how did that kind of get off the ground, I suppose? You're in, you're in college, you're in Temple Bar in the city centre. You take it from there. Yeah, so, so during uh, college, I met my friend Devon and myself and Devon started to brainstorm new business ideas for when we left college, what would we do? And essentially we came up with a few different ideas and we started researching each idea to see would they work. And one of them that stood out for us was renewable energy. And so after college, we, we had the idea to set up a, a solar energy farm in, in Ireland. So we had figured out that in Ireland, um, Ireland gets more daylight hours than, than uh, most other European countries and PV solar cells um, essentially were on the rise. And in Germany, I'm not sure if you're aware, but it's one of the leading energy producers in, in, in Europe. It is the leading in Europe. And essentially they have all of these solar farms and a couple Longford where my dad is a, uh, is a farmer. So he has this land, which I'm going to inherit. And I, don't want to be a farmer unfortunately so I have all of this land that I need to do something with so the initial idea after college was to set up a solar farm so myself and Devon went about putting together a, 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 a feasibility study at the time and we got a few of our environmental engineer friends uh, from college to help us put together that report and it's funny this story how it leads on like we we created this report and I sent it on to a few uh, consultants on LinkedIn. And one of them actually turned out to be a friend of my uncle's in America who got back to me and he turned out to be one of the foremost experts in renewable energy in the world. And he said, this is a great idea, a great project. would love to help you out. And it really took, took shape then when we started working directly with him. His name was Diego Belmonte. He had his own company right, called, right, right. yeah, yeah. So he had his own um, company called eSound Energy. And after a bit of time working with him, he invited us out to California um, to, to, to show us what he's doing over there. And what, so, what age are you here, guys? Oh, 21, 21. Just so after. You're, you're kind of bluffing it a little bit along the way, getting out to California to, uh, to see what's going on out of there. Or, or are you kind of, uh, and, you know where you're at yeah i think it's really interesting the dynamic you know uh, growing up in ireland there's a lot of ageism you know you're a young guy you don't what do you know and whereas in america it's slightly different you know they if you've if you put together something of value they see past the age to a lot of respect uh, respect so so we went out and we had a really good project put together for the midlands in ireland and how we could turn all of the bog land that's turning to scree uh, you know it's being used up and why are they going to put on all this flat land we were proposing that the government puts a lot of investment into putting solar panels across all that used up bog land um, uh, with board pneumonia so where my land is in longford is right beside lanesborough power station so we had we had literally put together a project that could be integrated with the generation center in Lanesborough. So it was a really in-depth project and um, he was impressed and so much so he brought us out and introduced us to some of his friends in, in, 
in, in along the west coast which was a huge learning curve for myself and Devin we got to meet um, and pitch to Suncal and their board of directors you know billion dollar company and um, third largest real estate company in America and we got to sit in the room and pitch with Diego um, for them to put solar panels across all their buildings across America so it was really really exciting time at 21 and along that journey we met um, a, a company called Norabachi who the founders actually liked myself and Devin so much they said why don't you try and sell our LED lighting to Ireland so of course the solar farm wasn't really taken off in Ireland because we couldn't get any grants or, or funding towards it so we decided to try our hand on LED lighting and, and that really started to grow um, we started selling into pharmacies but then of course you know the recession had just started getting a little bit worse and worse and unfortunately people weren't willing to spend any money around that time and it's easy to forget how difficult those times were but people really just stopped spending on everything even something that would save them 80 percent on their on their bottom line and in, in energy costs so it was a real real uh, fast-paced uh, time for straight out of college and it was a big learning curve and that kind of set us up and our mindset up for growth after college to continue and set up new businesses and that's what we've done over the last 10 years nice nice that's a really it sounds like a really exciting journey but so you're back you're back in ireland you've you've had the kind of the solar um the solar trip on, on where are you at now you you didn't quite get the get the led lights off the ground where where's your head at at the moment are you thinking of starting something else yeah yeah that's exactly it we so myself and Devin, um we we couldn't get the we couldn't get find buyers for the led market and i suppose we we uh had a small stint in bringing products from china and selling those we tried to do that um, and then we just realized that the market just wasn't there so we we took a break so we stuck stepped back and took a break we kind of refilled the coffers and both Devin and myself got jobs um, and at that time you know about 22 23 we were looking at what what else is next so Devin decided to go corporate and join the corporate world and learn more uh, uh, from that scenario and myself I actually started working part-time for DBS uh, the college I went to and in doing that, I tried to set up an innovation hub inside of DBS. So I was trying to create this culture of entrepreneurship inside the college. And in doing that, I sent out an email. This shows you how times have changed. But I sent out an email across the college asking, is anyone interested in entrepreneurship and joining uh, this hub? Uh, please email me back. And I only got one email back. Um, so, you know, that was back when colleges didn't really have innovation courses, you know, and that's only 10 years ago. It's mad. Yeah. But um, we, uh, yeah, so I got one email back and that person turned out to be Rob Kramer, who is uh, an Austrian guy. And uh, he met, met me later that evening and brought a basket of pastries. And I remember he, he came over to the apartment with this basket of pastries and we talked business. And eating these pastries, I was like, wow, this is amazing. You know, this is like pastries of coconut and dark chocolate and raisin and strawberry. And it was, they were so, so nice. 
I said, why don't we bake these and sell them into coffee shops around Dublin? And, uh, you know, essentially we did that for fun over the next three weekends. And within three weekends, we had 30 coffee shops uh, buying our, our baskets of pastries, which, you know, was a very quick turnaround. And after, 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 and that started the whole adventure, which was crust bakery and, and, you know, crust, crust grew extremely quickly within two years. We, we, you know, I was employing 45 people um, and I was 25, you know, it was an ex- extremely uh, quick, quick journey. Um, and well, you kind of jumped a bit there. So you go from weekends, doing weekends, baking in your apartment to employing 45 people. What was the kind of the catch in the middle there? Yeah. So, so it's all a dramatic learning spike. Um, we, we essentially we were baking in, in the apartment and then realized quite quickly that that was going to be impossible to grow the business and scale the business. So we initially hired a contract baker in Cork to start supplying and to start producing on scale commercial grade product. You know, there's, there's no health and safety standards baking in your apartment and that can't last, you know? So, so we started um, outsourcing the production and that was our first taste of, okay, now we can maybe go after bigger fish. And so what we did was we got quite exciting. Then we actually went to my local super value in Longford uh, where I grew up and said to the owner, Roy Davis, we said, Roy, you know, we're a new company. We'd really like you to, to support us here. Could you uh, try our product? And he tried it and he said, wow, this is amazing. Uh, I'll order seven cases. And just to give you a bit of, bit of uh, a flavor of the scale, right? Seven cases, one case was four baskets. So, you know, you had the, the, the equivalent of 28 baskets in, in one order. But the difference was we, on the way back, we were so excited. We went into every super value, six more super values on the way back. And we're saying they're flying out, they're, they're flying off the shelves down the road in, in Super Value in Oxford. And because we knew Roy would support us. So we actually got seven case orders from all six of those supervisors. And that's when we realized this is going to scale really quickly. And we literally took to the roads and sold, uh, sold our product all the way down to Super Value and Dingle um, and, you know, all the way up to Donegal. So we had. Um, in one year, we scaled uh, extremely quickly um, to, to, you know, super values all across the country. Enough, we got to a scale, enough scale that we then uh, got an agreement with Apple Greens to start supplying uh, pastries to them nationwide. Um, after that, we started to think about more innovative products. So we actually reached out to the second largest bakery in Europe, um, in Germany. And this is where, you know, we added a little bit of flair. We, we asked this company, we said, look, we're the fastest growing bakery brand in the UK and Ireland. <laughs> you know, would, would you be interested in supplying us with your products as well? And that's like, the, uh, we only had six or seven products that we were selling, but getting them on board would allow us to sell 200 plus products. And um, so the sales director actually emailed us back the week after and said, 
yes, no problem. Let's have a conversation. I'll fly to Dublin next Thursday. Does that suit? And it's just, <laughs> just, just to recap, it's just the two of you still just kind of bluffing slightly as well. Yeah, this is just me and Rob, just just literally two men in a van selling pastries um, and, you know, getting our stuff produced in Cork uh, on a contract basis. So, like, it was literally very, uh, very seedling stages. Um, but we did have massive growth. So we were playing off the growth. And when the sales director of this billion-dollar uh, business came over the next week, we used all the strengths that we had to uh, available. So we thought, okay, what's he used to? Well, we we booked a uh, night. We booked him in the Westbury Hotel, and then we said, okay, you know, there's a fancy meeting room in the Westbury because we don't have an office. So we booked the Westbury meeting room uh, for a half day, and we could only afford a half day. It's really expensive, and uh, so. We presented to him and then we thought, okay, we're two young guys and um, he's going to get scared off. So I asked my dad uh, to sit in on the conversation and, you know, my dad uh, will. And so on, on the meeting, you know, there's some gray hair sitting beside me and I'm like, this is Rob, this is Will, he's our sales director, <laughs> you know, and, and he didn't care because we had a good enough plan and we were hit, hitting good enough numbers that it impressed him where we could go. And he didn't have much going on in the UK and Ireland at the same time. So after that, we brought him out and had a good time, you know, and, and showed him a good time. And the next, next day, yeah, of course we did. We, we showed him all the, all the strengths that Ireland offers, you know. And uh, But he signed a, a, a two-year exclusive agreement initially, which we increased then to five and um, because we kept hitting targets, we, we proved what we could do. And, and that's, but that gave us a break. You know, when you're dealing with the big guys, we, we decided to test our luck once again. And we said, look, you know, we really need samples to offer to uh, new clients. Could you send us some samples? We thought they'd send us half a pallet, but they sent us like eight pallets which was the equivalent of like 25 grand worth of stock, which gave us the, like an initial investment in our business to scale. So we used that. And then all the margin we made, we reinvested into the business and that bit, the business grew without any initial investment for the first few years. So we scaled into a multi-million euro business without any initial capital. It was just purely from reinvesting. Um, and that was, that was an extremely exciting time. We we um, we scaled. We started supplying donuts uh, to the market, and then the infamous cronut, which is a croissant donut. Um, I had seen it in New York, and then we got a baker in, in Germany to design it and create our own special exclusive cronut, um, which we successfully sold into Apple Greens. And they launched it nationwide, and um, in all the petrol stations. So. And then in Butler's Cafe, um, they were supplying it um, as well. So it really took off. And I suppose we were tasting all this delicious product that wasn't in the market due to Cuisine de France had a strong monopoly over the market, strong hold over the Irish market for 20 years. So we were bringing something di different uh, and new to the market, which wasn't there. And I think that's an extremely important lesson in that 
you know, it was right place, right time, right products. We brought it in at a time where people were tired of the plain baguette, uh, the plain Danish, the plain pastry. And we brought in new, new flavors, new exciting uh, tastes. We brought in sourdough bread before it was cool. You know, that's, that's the sort of, we were just before this big trend into specialty bakery product. And, uh, and so when we were tasting all these products, we realized, wow, people could eat these over a coffee and, you know, it would be delicious. And that's where we got the idea to create crust as a retail offering and, uh, and open coffee shops. And so we started to design out the, um, the model for opening crust as, as a coffee shop chain. And we, we used our initial uh, profits to set up a small shop as a test base in Anger Street, where both my Rob, both Rob and myself became the baristas, the cashiers, the bakers, you know, the deli behind the deli, uh, everything in in this small little uh, shop, which is now Dublin Pizza Company, um, in 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 Anger Street, that was crossed, and it was funny because some of our friends and our friends' brothers and sisters were still in DIT Anger Street across the road, so we knew a lot of people who were still in college and they were coming over and we were packing out sandwiches and giving them a free donut, whatever, you know, and it was, it was a cool feeling. It was only two, two seats in the site. And it was a tiny little place um, and, and really exciting time, but we got a bit carried away and this is a big lesson to be learned here. We had a successful business model, which was wholesale distribution um, of, of uh, specialty bakery products and then we decided you know what we'll also set up a, a, a retail chain of, of coffee shops which is essentially a totally different business and what happened was we you know we got a bit too ambitious and we set up a second coffee shop within the same 12 months as the first one but we went for a lease that was uh, much much bigger and um, it's still there on Georgia Street, you know, the 44-seat uh, location against a two-seat uh, location, which we had just done. And so now we had two coffee shops employing so many people and also running another business. So it was extremely difficult for us as new entrepreneurs to see the scale and then try and hire in behind uh, talent that we've you know, could help us run the business on a shoestring budget with no outside investment. So sounds, crazy. Sounds yeah. And what was the workload like involved with that? Are you working just nonstop or, or sleeping behind the counter or what was it like? Yeah. Yeah. I won't lie. I did sleep in the bakery a few times. <laughs> it's 20 hour days, seven days a week. And it was intense. And, uh, and I really can't, you know, I wouldn't have energy for that at, at this stage in my life. You know, it's, it's, that was that part of my life where, you know, it was working an excessive uh, and obsessive amount. And I think where we were at in our heads, we just really wanted it to work. And we were, we were learning so many different tangents all at the same time in two, across two different businesses. Um, and on top of that, we got carried away. We even opened up a catering business the year after so we were going after money, 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 wherever it was coming. And we didn't realize to focus on one. 
Um, and instead we created three different revenue streams from the one business, but they needed three completely different strategies uh, and three different mindsets. So it created this need for 20 hour days, seven days a week, which obviously led to burnout. So we got to a stage where we were growing so fast, but at any stage things could, could change because we were getting, you know, overworked and, you know, not, not a, a, enough experience. And that's really where it came to a point of, you know, when you're, when you're starting out, it's a lot of fun. Then midway, you start to realize that's where you need more expertise to come in and kind of guide you. And unfortunately, we didn't have a lot of that. Ex we didn't have the content that's out there today. We didn't have a lot of the ex expertise at the end of the phone and not as readily shared as it is today. You know, and that's, that's a huge advantage to people starting out today is, is there so much available uh, support. Um, so we went, we went through this incredible journey of, of learning and um, we set up another coffee shop then in Kildare Street inside the Department of Business, Enterprise and Innovation. And um, at that stage, we had got to a point where four years in, we started supplying Tesco's nationwide. We became the biggest supplier of donuts in the country and we totally burnt out. And this is a point, if anyone is listening and anyone is an entrepreneur, that experiences burnout is an extremely stressful, mentally tough, physically tough time where you need to take six months, six, six weeks minimum out of the business. Um, but you can't because you're stuck, like you have to, you're needed to run the business. So like it's, it's, it's a really intense time. So what we did was we started to try and do um, time on time off with each other and help each other out. And then, um, we got to a point where Crust was, um, you know, almost self-sustaining. We hired a layer of man management that was able to help us self-sustain. So we went through this dramatic learning curve um, over this first business that actually took off and could pay a sustainable salary, you know. So um, Crust, um, then at that point, I, we, we launched the uh, Bitcoin. We started accepting Bitcoin and doing more things for fun. And um, we became the first bakery in the world to accept Bitcoin. We're in the Irish Times and we linked all of the refrigerators and freezers to the mobile phone so we could turn everything on and off through the mobile phone. We were the, probably one of the first places to have an iPad till um, because everyone was paying two grand a year for these expensive tills. And we, we brought out an iPad till with a free app and paid nothing for it. So we brought a lot of technology into the game um, as we learned and we did things differently. And that really gave us a refreshing uh, outlook on the business. But one thing it really hinted towards is that our future and our focus was really towards technology um, and not as much into the food industry. And, that's really when we started to think about, okay, well, what's next for us as entrepreneurs? And although we had this scaling business, you know, is this something we want to do for the next 20 years? Which is a very interesting moment in, in any entrepreneur's career is you've built something and then you think, okay, is this, is this for me now? Or is this for me for the next 10, 15, 20 years? Um, and, and you really have to commit. So 
myself and uh, Rob decided to actually focus more on selling the business and moving towards technology, which we did. Um, so, so myself, I sold out uh, a year and a half ago and um, have been focusing on Park BNP and, and Park Office, which are new new technology ventures to date. So, and just incredible. Just that, did, did you um, did you kind of have that idea preloaded, or or when did you know that was was like I suppose were you um, working away in the bakery thinking I want to get away and do something else, or were you thinking I have this idea that I might want to give a shot? Yeah, it all happened very naturally. I I suppose we you know we my Rob had already decided that he was moving uh, to Portugal so he moved to Portugal and I had uh, I had this idea where you know I was opening my mind up to new ideas uh, also and we got to a point where you know as a business um, it, the food business is extremely tough right so I get asked more questions than not. I get asked about setting up a coffee shop, uh, setting up a food business. And it's a real passion for a lot of people. But I have to say, it's one of the hardest businesses you can do. And like tra traditional businesses don't get enough credit or respect as for, for what they do and the work that they put in. It really is. I wrote to the government asking, you know, why do all these startups get a half a million euros um, or a million euros from the government and you can't give five grand to a small you know bakery company that's do, you know, hiring 50 people you know uh, for a new oven uh, so so I asked if you could give a hundred people five grand a hundred uh, startup uh, companies in the traditional space five grand instead of instead of one tech company half a million I think that's that's the uh, that, that was my thinking at that time. It was like, you know, there really is no support. And then they started, the government started bringing in regulation after regulation, which made it harder for us to grow as a business. They brought in new building regulations, which, you know, really squeezed our business, incurred 30 grand more in cost just from one site visit and really slowed our growth. So we were trying to think about it from the perspective of never has... You know, for our generation, technology is a real way, opportunity to scale. And if are we missing the boat? And that was a constant theme for us is that if we get in, if we continue in the food industry, are we missing this once in a lifetime opportunity to grow a technology company? And um, is this a wave that we're missing? So we were very conscious of that. And I suppose when we started to think, and open our minds to new things new opportunities made themselves clear and like I bought a car for the first time uh, I, at, at that stage um, because you know my girlfriend at the time was sick sick of getting the bus and I was driving with her on the first day of owning the car I was driving with her and looking for parking uh, in Ranala and I couldn't find parking anywhere and I was like, oh, geez, this is a nightmare. Why, why did I buy this car? Uh, what a waste of money. I sh we should have just got the Lewis like we normally did. And, uh, and then I started to see all this empty space in front of people's driveways. And, you know, seeing that empty space, I was just growing more and more frustrated. So I, I drove into one of the spaces in front, in front of someone's house 
And I knocked on the door and this lady came up, came up to the door and I said, listen, I'm so sorry, but is there any chance I could just leave the car here for a few hours because we can't find parking anywhere? And she said, no problem. Don't worry at all. So we thought it was lovely that she did that. So we came back with chocolates and 10 euros a few hours later. And she was like, wow, look, that's such a great uh, gesture. I should do this all the time. And that's really where the idea is sparked for Park BMP, you know, the Airbnb for parking. It was like, you know, why can't people rent out their parking spaces the way you rent out a room in your house? And, you know, it just made total sense to me. And it's an idea I wasn't able to shrug off. Um, so while I was running across... On that one, Garrett, I think a lot of people would probably um, be in a similar boat, like a non-tactical kind of founder like yourself, and they might have the the inkling or like they might have this million dollar idea and then they're thinking about potentially going out and implementing it, but they don't know the closest way to start. So if you could just, just give a bit of an insight as to, as to how you went about uh, or what even your mindset was going from traditional into a tech sector, I suppose, um, with such a big idea. Yeah. So, so it's a great question and it's something I get asked a lot. Yeah, I suppose I'm not a programmer. I'm not, you know, specifically technically minded and I had this idea for a website and an app. So, so what did I do? Initially, I started researching, like I'd say a lot of people do, you know, website builders and developers. And I got some crazy quotes. You know, I had people come in and say, you know, I'll do it for you for 600,000. And I think because they Googled me beforehand and saw the, the bakeries and stuff, they thought that was acceptable, you know? Uh, so, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of people out there who, um, will offer to build something for a huge amount of money. And I think where, where my head landed was that I would look for someone who would go on this journey with me as a CTO and technical co-founder. And luckily for me, you know, I was doing a catering delivery about two weeks after those quotes came in and I was thinking, geez, this is going to be too hard for me to do. I went to this catering event hosted by Bank of Ireland, who were a big supporter and customer of ours across. And at the event, I saw this uh, guy on stage, Dan, who became my co-founder. I saw Dan and, and uh, three other developers on stage, Diego, Caio and Jackson. And they were all pitching this, uh, app and website that they had built and I just remember seeing the app and website and thinking wow this looks amazing like what they've built looks really high quality and I just I just listened to the rest of the conversation and thought that their business plan was wasn't great um, and the the offering itself wasn't great so I thought okay well you know I'm going to take a chance here and I went up to them and said, listen, guys, I have a really good idea for, uh, for a business. Here it is. And I'm wondering if you'd have a sit down with me um, in the coffee shop over coffee and donuts um, and, and have a chat about it. So thankfully, I had a, you know, a business there where I was able to bring them into a coffee shop in the city center and treat them to lots of sweet things and coffee. And um, you might have to do things in your own way. But just like I did with the, the bakery director, sales director in the early days, you know, we brought him to the Westbury and, you know, made him feel like he was a part of something. 
uh, and joining our journey. And um, that's so important for you uh, to, to think about at the start. You know, if you put the effort in, um, people will see your intention and, and, uh, and give you respect for that. So, so the guys, Dan, uh, Jackson, Kyle and Diego sat down and listened to the, the, um, the business proposal. And I said very clearly, look, guys, I think this could be massive. Um, and what I'm proposing is, could you build me a minimum viable product, like a basic app, a basic website, and I will go out and validate the business idea. I'll go and knock on 100, uh, 300 doors and get 300 people signed up to rent their space. And if we can do that, I think we could raise some money to grow this business. I can't pay you initially, but I can give you some equity in the business. And then as shareholders, we can grow this thing to, to, to the, you know, into the, the stratosphere. And that's what, you know, that, that got them engaged. They brought them on the journey. And the guys, you know, luckily they accepted and we came together and we created Park PMP, um, which is the Airbnb for parking spaces. And that's, that's how we started. And I went out, knocked on 300 doors, got 300 people to sign up um, and rent out their spaces. Actually, I knocked on way more doors than 300, but 300 people signed up and uh, agreed to wait, rent their spaces. And we've grown that business now. And we manage over 24,000 parking spaces across the country in Ireland. And um, we work with the, all the big parking operators at Q Park and Eurocar Parks and Parkright. And uh, we have a small, small uh, bit of traction in Belgium, the Netherlands. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so, so Park PMP, we ended up raising uh, 1.5 million uh, euros as well to scale the business. And that's really where, where, um, Things kicked off initially we 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 created our mvp the team got the team behind us and then we start we looked to start fundraising and um, to grow out the team and, and scale the business just a quick one on that garrett um like obviously 1.5 million is a huge sum say mid-20s to be going out and raising particularly if you're non-technical like you said um like a, it's obviously a mindset kind of thing to, to have such a big uh a big kind of picture think, thought. Um, like, do you think if you had gone from college into a graduate program and you had the same kind of experience in Ranala that night with the car, do you think you still would have kind of had the same inkling and had the same drive to go out and do it? Or do you think the fact that crust was there beforehand kind of crowned you and had that mindset to go out and do something big? Yeah, it's a great question, Simon. I think you know, you can never, hindsight's a great thing, I suppose, you know, you can never truly know. Um, but I suspect it had a lot to play with it. You know, I had a multi-million euro business. Uh, I had a lot of experience at that stage. Well, I felt I had a lot of experience, right? So you feel like you, you know, you have a lot more experience than the normal uh, person leaving a job or leaving college because you've gone through all this, this trauma and building a business. Um, so I felt like I had a lot more experience to go out and ask for more. And because I had a business already here, it gave me a bit more confidence to go and ask for a bigger number in fundraising. So, so it definitely played a part. And I know at the time, on average, people were raising about 50,000 to 100,000 for their new businesses um, that I was seeing. 
um, around that time from Enterprise Ireland uh, through accelerators like the NDRC um, and, and, you know, Enterprise Ireland's match funding or, or CSF funding, etc. So there's 50 to 100,000 is kind of what I was seeing. And I just thought, you know, if I'm going to leave this business here, I'm going to leave it for something that can scale a lot quicker. And therefore I was thinking, okay, well, half a million to start off with should give us enough kick to scale this quite quickly. And so I went out with a, a much larger um, uh, ambition, a, a, high, a larger ambition, I think, than most at the time. But now to say that the ecosystem, investor ecosystem in Ireland has come on a long way since. And I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs starting out now and there's a lot more support for them to really kick off and scale their businesses with much larger amounts of funding um, available uh, right now. So I would say it's, it's not about raising an insane amount of money starting off. It's about understanding what you feel you need to grow the business. So, you know, ours was a marketplace and marketplaces are very hard to grow initially. It requires a lot of funding. Whereas, you know, my second company uh, in the tech space park office is a SaaS business, which is higher margins and doesn't require as much funding to grow um, because of the high margins. So it really depends on your business and it really depends on, on what you need it for. And Park BNP to scale and get off the ground, we needed a higher amount. And I, I, I knew quite clearly what we needed at that time. And just on those kind of business model um, types you kind of touched on, You've got the SaaS model versus the marketplace model, even versus traditional. Which would be your your preference going forward? You kind of alluded to the fact that the SaaS model uh, doesn't require as much to get going. But uh, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a complex question, I suppose. Uh, SaaS is software as a service, um, so essentially you're charging uh, companies to use your service, charging companies or, or people to use your service on a monthly basis. Is, is generally what, what SaaS is. And, and about two years ago, we created a Park PMP, a new solution called Park Office, um, which allows us to manage office car parking spaces. And essentially that company has been able to, to like in Amazon, Amazon has Amazon you know, delivery services, the online web and marketplace. And then they have AWS, which is, you know, very high profit uh, software platform and that allows them to you know do have benefits of both worlds and essentially park pmp is a much much smaller uh, version of that we have park office which is a high margin SaaS software uh, platform and then we have park pmp which is a marketplace which is allows you to you know which has way more scale but uh, but a lot less margin than, than Park Office. And if you were to ask me, like you did, um, what's my favorite? I suppose the older I get, the more I go after margin um, uh, because margin gives you more breathing room as, as a business. So you can make, you know, you have the time to make more mistakes or try new things out. And like when you're on a budget, and you're losing money every month as a high growth company, it's very pressure. It's a, it's a pressure cooker. And that's very difficult to do if you're not that experienced. 
Whereas, you know, in this journey, park office, we can try lots of different things without a worry for the company running out of money because the money we make is high margin and essentially we can reinvest without needing more money from investors and to do so, if that makes sense. So SaaS for me would be my preference, um, but I'm very partial to consumer technology and marketplaces because I think it's the easiest way to scale globally um, is to have a consumer consumer facing marketplace. So, so yeah, per- personally, I like, I like the, uh, the uh, marketplaces, but if I was an investor, SaaS is probably, uh, is probably what I would choose every, every day of the week. Brilliant. Um, I might just ask a couple more questions and then open it up to the floor. There's a couple of questions been sent in to me already there. So um, just if you weren't, if you weren't in parking tech or you weren't with, uh, with park office, what, what do you reckon you'd be doing now? Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I would definitely be um, looking to start my next venture. Um, I find, I find right now there's a wave of new SaaS uh, companies starting um, in, and solving many different problems that were there before solved by much larger solutions before that were way more expensive. And all of them, there's lots of them now that seem to be fitting into niche uh, areas, which, which are quite lucrative. Like we're paying a data company, um, a data security company, uh, a fortune for, you know, right now, just because there's very few of them that do the audit, they do the safety, they do the uh, reporting, they do it all in-house as a SaaS solution. Um, and this wasn't something that was there five years ago, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's an extremely lucrative opportunity. And there's many, many different examples of SaaS companies that are popping up and solving very specific problems but open access to the entire market. And, you know, Simon, you know, from earlier conversations that we, we have customers now for park office in New Zealand, all the way to LA. Um, you know, we're parking tens of thousands of people um, in, in 10 different countries, you know, and it parking is a global problem. And because of the internet, we have a, an opportunity to solve those problems through software all across the world. So it's not just the Irish market. It's not just Ireland, UK. Now it's everywhere, New Zealand to, to LA. So software, I would be looking at niches that I can solve um, and, and problems that I can solve there quite quickly in, in markets that don't have this solution in place already. Brilliant, brilliant. And just final question then for me. Um, I know you're, you're an avid reader. Do you have any particular books that you'd recommend or one particular book that you might recommend to, uh, to the audience? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think do I have it here. I don't, I don't have it here, but uh, the 5am club is my absolute uh, must as a book. Um, it's all about getting the right mindset uh, as an entrepreneur and, and as a person. And I think that the 5am club is something that's, you know, really impacted me as a person and um, on a daily basis, you know, gives me a roadmap um, to improve on a daily basis. And, you know, it's personal uh, and professional. So I really use the, the daily routine examples. They, they put it in the book and um, it's by Robin Sharma. Um, 
and I really use those examples uh, on a day-to-day -day basis myself to, to improve and I've, I've noticed a huge difference. Nice one. A um, couple of questions coming in there. So the first, first one uh, comes and it's uh, digestives are rich tea, Gareth. Which would you go for? <laughs> uh, none, none. I'm a coffee man. Uh, and uh, you know, staying off the sweet stuff now after all the years running a bakery. <laughs> nice one. Um, what's the best business idea you've had that you've never acted upon? Ah, uh, um, that I've never acted upon. I really liked the idea. I was mulling over between Park BNP and this other idea called Flight Cred, and essentially it was. Every year, my pals were like, oh, let's go skiing or let's go to Brazil next year or whatever. And you could never afford the flights. Everyone always had to save up for the flights. And the idea was essentially you could pre-book the uh, cheaper rates now and then pay them off up until the moment of the flight. Um, and the company was called FlightCred, like a, like a in-between credit uh, option. And that was... Uh, that was an idea I thought was was very good and just never, never went with it. And I, the reason I didn't go for it um, was because it wasn't a day-to-day, -day, a daily problem. Parking is a daily problem and booking your flights wasn't a daily problem, but it's something I, I really enjoyed. Um, yeah, so I suppose that's, that's probably um, one nice. that I regret. Um, before embarking on one of your projects, have you ever felt anxious or worried but what might happen should the project be unsuccessful? How do you overcome such thoughts? Yeah, I suppose you, you have to embrace it, right? At the, uh, the best way to think about this, and it needs constant reaffirmation is, you know, you only live once. And at the end of the day, it's always easier to be safer. You know, it's, you, you can always, get a job again, or you can always find that comfort zone again. And you will regret not going out and doing the things that, that excite you or push you outside of your comfort zone. And you only really grow as a person if you're outside your comfort zone. Uh, and I, I, I think only people who've gone outside their comfort zone and felt that feeling of progress and growth and get addicted to it really know what, what, what I'm talking about, but I think if you, if you're feeling anxious, that's good. And you have to enjoy that and constantly on a day-to-day -day basis, write down why you're doing it. And that reaffirms why you're doing it. Um, and, and I do it. And every single day I put in, you know, I, I look at my, my daily reminders and my daily notifications. I actually put in an, an alarm that pops up in my calendar and says, you know, here are the reasons you're doing what you're doing. And, and it reaffirms me as a, as a person and why I'm doing what I'm doing. Nice one. Um, with lockdown, are you based, uh, where are you based? Or are you working remotely? If so, how do you find it? And do you think it's the way forward? Yeah, so great question. I, um, I was living in New York up until March and, uh, and moved back to Ireland. I was sitting in the subway in, uh, in Chinatown and uh, I was sitting in the subway thinking, this is potentially going to be pretty bad uh, here. So thankfully I booked a flight, which was initially only for two weeks. 
and uh, and never haven't returned yet to New York, unfortunately. But I got out and I moved uh, to Longford, where where I'm from, uh, and I've been doing up a house here, which which I'm living in with my fiance. Um, which I was initially building as, a, as an Airbnb uh, and now I'm living here and really enjoying it. Um, I think that remote working and working from home is going to play a huge part in the future and I think it's because of the benefits. When people ask about, you know, is it the future, you got to just look at the benefits. So one is not just everyone thinks about the, the employee side, and, you know, obviously people are saying they're more productive, they enjoy working from home in a lot of cases. Think about it from the employer's side as well. I generally think that's how markets move um, is where the, who holds the purse strings. And as an employer, you know, if you can widen your talent pool, if I could tell you now, Simon, I can hire someone in Kilkenny who's a master in uh, you know, in, in uh, marketing, he's, he's an absolute marketing genius, but he just wants to live in Kilkenny and I can offer him maybe 15% off going rate because he wants to live in Kilkenny and work remote over my limited talent pool here in Dublin city center who hates commuting for an hour into work every day. If I can get a, a person who's uh, more, more, um, knowledgeable in the area and at a lower rate and he's happier which means retention of staff and um, is longer and you know we're still hitting the same targets which has been proven over covid i think that answers the question i think you'll have a huge proportion of the future um, workforce working from home but in a in a fluctuating rotational sense i think you'll still have um offices course and you in two years time watch you know you'll see all these reports about companies that are now all back at the office and doing 300 better than their competitors and then there'll be a whole trend and wave of people moving back to the office and then it'll balance out right so what it's done is it's opened their eyes to the potential opportunity that is working uh, remotely and um, but i think there'll be a balancing in the next two or three years and um, but it's definitely here to stay. Brilliant. Um, just second last one. So um, given that we're all in a strict lockdown, do you have any suggestions of how to get out of your comfort zone? Yeah, good question. I think YouTube is a perfect example of me doing that. Um, you know, putting yourself out there is really nerve wracking. Uh, there's a bunch of trolls, <laughs> you know, uh, and talking in front of camera is, is, is really not easy. Um, even this isn't easy, you know, I'm trying to look at a little dot just so, so, uh, you know, so it looks like I'm looking at you, which is things that I've learned over COVID. Um, yeah, I, I would say, I would say try because you don't have as much commuting time or time where you're in the coffee shop or you're, you're getting distracted by other real, you know, normal day things. You have a lot more time. So, I would try and use the time to do certain things you would never do and maybe get someone else to write down one thing for you next week that they want you to do because you're too scared to put it down on paper yourself. I'll give you an example. I, I think the last time I painted was in primary school and 
my myself and my fiance after dinner the other night we just painted on a canvas uh we're, we're fans of this farm uh farm painting by owen o'connor and so we painted cows you know it's it's a it's it's a funny thing to do but it's something we've never done and now we're like this is this is really relaxing and something that's very creative so get out of your comfort zone do things differently that you wouldn't normally do use this as an experiment on yourself and like you will never get this much time again like this next especially in ireland these next four weeks sign up to a 30-day challenge and go and learn about something you've never done before improve every single day even if it's reading one chapter um, of a new book every day just do something and you will you will you will not regret it i think that's 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 such an easy one and you will not regret it brilliant and just lastly then do you want to leave us with any um any insights into your youtube channel and what's your kind of mission through doing it and how's it going yeah 100 percent, simon um so essentially i've created over covid and uh, myself and my co-founder dan uh, Daniel Paul tried to create this innovation session on a Saturday. So, and anyone here in this group who's interested in 15 to 30 minutes of free uh, back and forth consultation on a Saturday morning, uh, normally, um, please get in touch. Um, where basically we set this up, we were trying to come up with ways in which we could help people through COVID. Um, and literally, I started in the last recession, I started you know, my entrepreneurial journey. And I wish I had someone who could help, you know, who could have helped me at that stage. So I was trying to, I was doing all of these um, meetings every Saturday and a lot of the same questions got asked, Simon. And, you know, I'm a big fan of automation and I was trying to come up with a way that I could answer the same question again and again and again without answering the same question again and again and again. So YouTube is something I don't think a lot of, uh, it's, not, it's not as common to see an Irish person on it, but I've started a channel called Guard Flower uh, on YouTube, and essentially I'm covering all the topics um, it, that, that I've come across in business from fundraising to finding a CTO. A lot of things we covered tonight actually um, will be on the YouTube channel in more detail. And over the next, you know, the plan is to keep doing it. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I have a I have a great one coming out tomorrow, um, but I'm really really enjoying it. And anyone who's interested in business, finance, and self improvement, just check it out um, and uh, leave some comments and on any topics you'd like to you'd like to hear about. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, we might wrap it up there, but um, just thanks a million again, Garrett, for uh, for joining, and thanks for everyone for taking part. And uh, hopefully, we'll see you at the next one.